0: We are in Luke chapter 6, and we find ourselves in verses 20 through 26 today. And the reason we're there, for those of you who are guests with us, is because we are just going through the book of Luke, and we seek to allow whatever uh, God's word kind of brings to us for us to address those topics. So uh, we find ourselves today in uh, verse 20 through 26, and Asking God that He would use His Word to uh, change us, and He would speak to us. So, uh, what I want to do is I want to read the passage in its entirety, and then I'll pray, and then we'll we'll dive right in as to what God's Word um, means, but not only means, but how God means to draw near to us through it. The Word of God, Luke chapter six, verses twenty through twenty-six. And he, that is Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Disciples of those who are following Jesus. And said, blessed. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. That's Jesus. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But, verse 24 Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. You have not tried to play hide and seek with us, but you have communicated to us through your word. And so we thank you that you have spoken and we ask that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that where there's a wall up, that where we don't want to receive it, that God you would make us humble enough to listen and to understand and to soak it up. We ask God that you would change us from the inside out. We ask that we would see you above everything else that we see and that your ways would filter down not just to our heads, but into our hearts. We do ask that we would understand what you are saying with our minds, but we pray that that understanding leads to life transformation, to deeper joy and satisfaction, to following you on a path of blessedness. We ask for this so that you get glory and we get the joy. We pray this in Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is great to be with you, and I thought that to begin our time together, we would watch a brief video on um, pursuing a path of awesomeness.
1: I think we all need pep talk. The world needs you. Stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring. But you're gooder than that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, aren't we on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. And it hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, thorns, and glass, and parts broke! Wah! Not cool, Robert Frost. But do there we really weren't two paths, I want to be in the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said, don't stop believing unless you dream stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going, keep going, keep going, and keep going. What if Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he didn't quit. No, he retired. Yeah, that's yes, he retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. But if we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it, or we can dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything. I'm just a kid, but I do know this. It's everybody's duty to give the world a reason to dance. So get to it.
0: So dance. Yes, created for awesomeness. I do believe that is true, and I do believe that uh, that is what our God teaches. (laughs) We uh, need to laugh, and we need to enjoy life, and we need to understand what that really means, to be on a road towards what is awesome. What's interesting is that we are all on this same journey. We're all on the same path, no matter our age or our stage. Here's what I mean. When a little baby cries for more food, it's crying because it desires to be satisfied. And when a senior struggles with change because things have always been done this way, they don't only struggle with it because maybe they think it's right, but even more foundational because it's comfortable and they believe it'll give them peace. When the child complains because the parent didn't give them what they wanted when they wanted it, it's because the child has determined they know what is best for their joy. When the teenager rolls his or her eyes at a parent, it does mean they heard you, but it's because when they heard you, they believe what you're saying cuts across their pursuit of Happiness. When the laborer gets frustrated because he or she has been given a deadline that's going to affect their weekend, they get angry because they long for rest. When the single is afraid to commit in marriage, it's because there is a conviction that playing the field or keeping your options open will lead to greater contentment. When the married couple fights because the other person didn't attend to the other person's needs, it comes from the conviction that if I was prioritized, I would be fulfilled. I ended every one of these scenarios with words that I believe summarize what Jesus is getting at when he uses the term blessed. A blessed life is a life that is satisfied, filled with peace, joy, joy. Happiness, rest, contentment, and fulfillment. All those could be dump trucked into what Jesus means when he says the word, blessed. Every scenario, every human heart is going after those things. Without exception. And I want to encourage you. It's actually good. The problem is, is what C.S. Lewis has said, that we have sold ourselves out for too short of a joy. We have become content with mud pies in the slums rather than enjoying the vacation at the sea. God wants us to find joy and to find rest and contentment. But he says it will be found nowhere else in its fullest, in its deepest, in its broadest than in me. I don't know if you know this. In the scriptures, it is commanded of us, rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Those of you who are weary, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest for your soul. The rest beneath the rest. Jesus is after your peace. It even says in Ephesians 2, it says, He himself is our peace. He died so that we would have peace. So all of us on this common pursuit, God says, I want you to go after your joy. I want you to pursue your happiness. I want you to pursue rest like nothing else. But realize this. Every other pursuit will fall short unless I am the apex of the pursuit of joy and of peace and of rest. This is the essence of what Jesus is teaching us today. He is inviting us into a blessed life. So I think there's three things that Jesus is trying to communicate here. Number one, what is the blessed life? Two, who is the blessed life for? And three, where do we look for the blessed life? One, what is the blessed life? Two, who is the blessed life for? And three, where do we look for the blessed life? I hope you see where I get this idea of the blessed life. It is in the first, (coughs) excuse me, uh, three verses there, 20, 21, and 22. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Jesus is after, what does it mean to be blessed? blessed. So I think we need to understand what that means, and I labored on the front end illustration because that is the definition of what the blessed life is. It is a life promised by God, in God, through Jesus Christ, that promises satisfaction, joy, contentment, peace, fulfillment. All these words This is what he is pushing us towards. Now, he has also crafted our life experience to give us echoes of this. Some of you have sat down to eat a wonderful meal. And as you've eaten that meal, there are groans and grunts that come out of your mouth because it satisfies you. You like it. And God gives those good gifts because he wants you to think about all of that feeling and say, I've given you that. I'm the one that created the sense of, yes. And it's going to be full and forever when I come again. I don't know about you, but I have tried and failed when it comes to my March Madness bracket. It has been blown up, stepped on, spit on, crushed, etc., I even tried to fill out like seven this time just to see if I did well. All seven have tanked. But there have been times as you go through that when your team wins or if you really don't like someone and their team loses and you're able to taunt them, all of that brings a sense of joy, yes? A sense of, yes, they won. Well, all the ones that I picked to win, they have lost. But that's not the point. The point is God gives us these things. He gives us insertions into our everyday life that gives us a sense of, yes, victory, excitement. Do you think about those things as gifts from God? He gives them to us so that we would have a small taste of what's to come. A small taste of what, if in Him, can be pulled wider, made deeper, and more expansive. Whenever you have relationship trouble, and all of a sudden when you didn't see eye to eye, there was peace. And you really just enjoyed being next to that person. That's a gift from God. Because he wants you to think, my nearness is even better. It's even better. Taste after taste after taste of the blessed life now so that we would long for it and live for it in the days to come. Just like any good parent, this passage is an invitation. It's an invitation into this blessed life, into the happiest, most fullest life. He says, I invite you into this joy. Come on. Let's go after it together. But also like any good parent, he warns you. There are consequences if you take the wrong path. That's why he has verses 24 to 26. Woe to you who live a different way. And so he puts them both before at a macro level. He says, pursue this. It is for your joy. This is dangerous. Please, choose the blessed life, he says. And friends, anyone who pursues a life that doesn't want to surrender to Jesus, It is like running up against the current. It is going against the current. And I promise you, it will not succeed. Because when we talk about not submitting to Jesus as Lord and not surrendering your life to Him, not seeing Him as the only way sin and shame and guilt can be forgiven and you be made clean, Choosing a different path of self-sufficiency, it is a path of going against the current. But I'm not talking about a calm river like this, one that you can kind of walk across, maybe just a little shallow, that's just kind of narrow. I'm talking about a raging river, a river that rages with all of the current in one direction, and that if you fight against it, you will not succeed. It will prevail because the river is not only raging, it is wide and expansive. And you're not going to be able to fight it, but it's also beautiful. The river is raging in love and in beauty. It is the best path. And Jesus is inviting you to say, stop fighting against a current. It is a losing battle. Instead, surrender Trust me, and I promise you, as the raging river of love and compassion that I am, I will take you where you need to go. Some of us are so skeptical and so afraid because we don't believe He's going to take us in a good direction. The Bible, the Gospels, Jesus' life, over and over have proven to the contrary. He knows what is best. He is a good parent, and He's inviting you to follow Him. With all your heart. So, what is the blessed life? It's a life that surrenders and follows God into the deepest pursuit of happiness and joy and satisfaction and contentment and peace. A pursuit that everyone is on. But as now we're going to find who is the blessed life for? It's for those who rest and trust in the Lord. So, what is the blessed life? It is a life of joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction. But who is that life for? Well, the Bible tells us. Jesus is not using this term blessed just kind of out of the blue. Let me just pick a nice word, blessed. Okay, let's do this. No, he has got all of history on his side. He has got the entire Bible kind of flowing through his mind. His mind or his Bible was the Old Testament. And so as he has it, there is this understanding of what blessed means in the Bible. And this is what I want to walk us through. Blessed means, in the scriptures, listen to this, in Psalm 2, verse 12, in Psalm 34, verse 8, it says this. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The sense of hiding yourself. When there's a war and a bombardment, you hide yourself behind the one who is strong. You take refuge in Him. Psalm 40, verse 4. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust. Happy is the one who makes the Lord his trust. You see that intentionality? I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you, Lord. This doesn't always make sense when we just read it. But listen to it. The one who makes the Lord his trust. I trust you more than myself, God. I trust your ways more than I do myself. Happy is the one who says that. Blessed is always connected to faith in Jesus, to trust in Him. And so when He says, "Blessed are those who take refuge in You, or make the Lord His trust," it is blessed is the is the soldier who hides. Behind the bomb proof bunker, awaiting other instructions. It's like, blessed is the one who, uh, the child who hides in his father's arms. Blessed is the one who lays on the bed to find great comfort and rest. These are the images that are being thrown at us in the scriptures and saying, all these physical images, do it spiritually. Rest in me, recline. I'll hold you. Hide behind me. I'll. Take care of you. But he also says this in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Whose sins are forgiven. And when David says this, Paul picks it up in Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, and says this. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes Psalm 32. And here's our word. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. There is no greater sense of freedom according to the scriptures. No greater sense of happiness than when you know your past, your present and everything that you will commit has been paid for on the cross by another. Jesus stood in your stead, died the death that you deserved, took the punishment that our sins justly deserved and he took it so that you could be set free and made clean and washed new. We all try every way in the world to get rid of our shame and guilt, but everything else seems to not work. We can act like we don't do wrong, but deep down we know we do, and we can try to blame everyone around us, but it never seems to deliver. There is one thing that delivers, and it is blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven, whom the Lord does not count his sins against him. How does that happen? It's because Jesus did what we couldn't do. He died the death in our place. He rose from the dead three days later so that he could say, I have the power to wash you clean and to make you new, to set you free. Blessed is the one who experiences that. Well, how in the world do you experience that? And friends, this is where, honestly, the Christian faith is remarkably and shockingly different than every other religion. All roads do not lead in the same direction. We are not dealing with integrity, the claims of Jesus, if we make the statement that everything is equal when it comes to all religious paths. The reason is, is because it is scandalously shocking Who is a candidate to be forgiven? All we have read up until now in the book of Luke is Jesus not encouraging the religious, but Jesus encouraging the sinner that there's hope for them. Instead, he is against those who lean on their religion as a means of forgiveness, who lean on their performance as if they can merit enough up in order for God to accept them. Every other religion says, do for God and then he will do for you. This says, no way, no how, there's nothing you can do to earn my love and to be good enough. What's enough? The beauty of the gospel is not That if you are religiously elite, you're okay. You would expect him to say the kind and the good and the top 10% those people are in. Instead, he says, the drunkard, the scandal, the greedy, the sexually immoral, anyone who trusts in me for the forgiveness of sins can be made new. That is amazing news. It does. It does my heart such amazing good. And this is where the two roads diverge. There is a path to awesomeness, there really is, but it is a path that rests fully in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. This is where I think the illustration of a family works well. Whenever a child is born or a child is adopted into a family, that was not owing to the child. Right? Right? The child didn't cause itself to be born. It didn't fill out the paperwork for adoption. They were brought in by no work of their own. It always amazes me how sometimes we can forget the mom on birthdays when the child did squat on that day, right? Amen, moms? You did the hard work. We should celebrate you on those birthdays. That's what I thought. I was waiting on it. I'm waiting on it. We need some conversation. That's why the language that Jesus uses about our salvation is to be born again. It's not something that we contribute to at its foundational level. We are made not guilty because we couldn't be good enough. And Jesus says, I love you too much to leave you there. I'm going to come to you. And I'm not going to come part of the way, and you better come part of the way. I'm coming all the way to you. To set you free and it is owing of no work of your own but it is owing that you would trust me the raging river of love and you would recline into my wonderful direction for your life and let me take you where you need to go it is there that Jesus is saying is the blessed life blessed are the ones whose sins are forgiven blessed are the ones who make me their trust God says But not only that, blessing is not only a condition that you receive by faith in Jesus, it is also something you fight for until you see Jesus face to face. What do I mean by that? Listen to how the Old Testament talks about blessing again in Psalm 112 verse 1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who delights in his commandments. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord and delights in what God says to do. So it's a fight in my heart. I don't always want to do what God says to do. Sometimes I'm skeptical thinking like is this really best? Don't I know that this is a better path? Whatever it is it's a fight to experience the blessing of God. He goes on to say in Psalm 119 verse 2 Blessed are those who keep His testimonies and who seek Him with your whole heart. And this is one that struck me. Psalm 84 verse 5 Blessed is the one who whose strength is in you. This week, I was struggling. I was struggling with desire. I was struggling in a sense of fatigue and weariness. I had a fuzzy mind. It was just, it was a struggle. And I have been studying for several months on this concept of what it means to be blessed and looked at so many of the passages, almost all of the passages in the Bible where it talks about blessing and what does that look like. And so I ran to Psalm 84. And I looked at this passage and it says, "Blessed is the one whose strength is in you." And friends, I don't know about you. But I want you to know like when I open up the Bible, it doesn't always just hit me. You know like I don't open it and read it and all of a sudden things are singing. You know, it's like it's not like there's this wonderful movement of God every time I just read the Bible. It's a fight. And the fight is, I have to ask, oh God, what does it mean for me to put my strength in you? What does it mean for my refuge to be in you? Because right now I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm not satisfied, I'm not at peace. And I just have to think on it. What does it mean? And you do too. Just reading the Bible, it's not always going to click. But stop and be still. And in my stillness, I just asked God and I said, well, God, if, if, if I'm struggling right now, what does it look like for me to put my strength in something else? And as I sat there praying, the things that were making me weary just began to come to my mind. When, Sean, you find yourself busy with things that aren't primary, but they're constantly urgent meaning you're neglecting the things that you know you should be doing, but you're responding to all the fires all the time, and you miss what's most important, and you're spending time on things that are not as important, you're probably working in your own strength. When you find yourself anxious often and not at peace, why is that? And many times it's for me that I have set my mind upon my circumstances I have fixed my brain upon all the things that are happening rather than stopping and being still and setting my mind upon the Lord. Meditation is a wonderful thing, but it is not a vacating of the mind. It is a setting your mind upon what is good. Jesus says in Colossians 3.1, it is set your mind on things above. It is good to fill your mind with what is true. When I began to ask myself, Why am I just struggling in strength? He said, When you find yourself angry, that's just this sense in my heart. It was like, Are you regularly angry? Friends, I just want to let you in on a struggle that we all have. If this person angers you, and this person angers you, and this person gets on your nerves, and this person makes you tired, there's one common thing to all of those people it's your nerves. And you're getting upset. You're the common thread. And whenever that happens, Jesus invites you not to a path of self-condemnation. He invites you to a path of setting your mind upon him. He invites you to make him his strength, to your strength. And what does that look like? To sit with him, to read his word, to be shaped by him, to talk to him in prayer. Share your mess with him. Share your tears and your fears. Don't hold anything back. He doesn't want you cleaned up. He wants you and all that you are. And in so doing, blessed is the one whose strength is in the Lord. You will find and experience the shining and the breaking through of the blessing of God in your heart. Now, I labored hard because without that understanding of blessing, you will not be able to understand the rest of the passage. So look at it now. We've answered who is, what is the blessing. That is, it's a life of peace and satisfaction and joy and contentment and rest. And now, who is the blessing for? It's for those who make the Lord their trust, who take refuge in Him, and who surrender their life for Him alone for the forgiveness of sins. But it also says, blessed here are you who are poor. What does that mean? Does that mean that we have to be financially destitute in order to experience the blessing of God? No, what he is saying is, blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust, but who finds themselves in a condition of poverty. And I believe this issue of poverty is a summary term for the other blessing terms that come later. So, poverty, that is, I mean Verse 21, hunger. I mean, verse 21 be those who are sad and weeping. When I say poverty, I mean those who, when you experience people hating you and excluding you and reviling you and spurning your name as evil on account of the Son of Man that is Jesus, that's what poverty means. Why does he do this? Because what's going to lead you to call God into question the quickest? As if he says, joy, peace, satisfaction, and rest are yours, and yet you're not experiencing it in your conditions and your life. Instead, what you're going through is a sense of poverty, a sense of sadness, a sense of exclusion and people not treating you well. You have enemies. Could even be hunger. And what is Jesus saying here? He is saying, no matter the circumstance that comes your way, you can still have, because you trust in me, an abiding sense of joy even when there's sorrow, of contentment even when you don't have all the possessions you need or that you feel like you want, maybe better said. Here he is saying, blessed are you when you are poor, when you are hungry. When you are sad and weeping and when people exclude you. And friends, I don't know if you're familiar with this term, but the prosperity gospel, that is not a gospel at all. It is when you are told that if you trusted in Jesus, you won't have trouble. That is, if you trust in Jesus enough, you won't get sick. And so therefore, if you're sick, you don't have enough faith. Or if you trust in Jesus enough... You would have a nicer house. The reason your house is falling apart is because you're not trusting in Jesus. The reason your car isn't passing inspection is because you're not trusting enough. It's garbage. It is totally against what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying there's a way to be blessed even when your circumstances are crumbling around you. Because... Your contentment and your rest and your joy are interwoven in a God who doesn't change. They're not interwoven in circumstances that do all the time. Jesus is actually inviting you in, saying not, I'll deliver you from all your trouble. No, he's inviting you into trouble and saying, but I will be with you in it. In the difficulty, you will not be alone. And hear this and hear it clearly. Everyone will suffer at some point. There is no doubt. And that is because that suffering, those are the screams of sin and Satan rebelling against God's good world and ways. It's called the brokenness of our world. It's not how it was supposed to be. But the follower of Jesus has the best answer for the pain of suffering. And it is because we have a Savior who went through it for us so that we would never have to go through suffering alone. And a Savior who by going through it can identify with our pain and render us, hearing this, unable to say, He doesn't love me. The cross makes that impossible. God gave his only son to suffer in our stead, to say, I know what suffering is, and I'm with you in it. But there's one thing, even though you can't understand all that's going on, you can't say this, that I don't love you. I gave my only son for you. I love you. Trust me. Surrender to me. And so the disciples, they needed to hear that, where Jesus' previous sermons were to crowds, these are to his followers. And his followers needed to hear, although they experienced poverty, hunger, weeping, and exclusion, he has not left them. And so, where are they to look for that blessing? Where are they to look? Where do we look for the blessed life? Look at what he says. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God blessed are you who are hungry now for you will be future satisfied where is he asking us to trust him and where is he asking us to look for the blessed life it is ultimately in the life to come when he looks at the person who is poor he is saying Blessed are you who are poor because you trust in me, because one day you're going to inherit all things. It's okay that your clothes have holes in them. You're going to inherit the earth. It's okay that right now your stomach is a little hungry, because I promise you, I will satisfy you. And some of us, we get so overwhelmed when we look at all the brokenness and all the hungry and all hunger and all the famine and all the tears in our entire world. But God wants us to look at where he is breaking in to the now, where he is showing us a glimpse of that last day and breaking in. When I hear stories every single week of followers of Jesus being comforted in the midst of their persecution all over the globe, When I hear about people living their life, choosing the path of awesomeness, a path of making a difference of love in the lives of others, and I see them caring for people who are in need. When I hear story after story of people choosing to insert their lives into the pain of another, it is God's last day joy breaking into the here and now, and he says, look at that and long for later. Blessed, blessed. Where is that blessing going to come? It's going to come when we look to that last day. He says, blessed in verse 21 are those who weep now, for you will laugh. You'll laugh. I don't know what your view of God is. Some of us have a, a view of God as a cosmic killjoy who's just always out against our joy. And he just wants to make us miserable. Who created laughter? I didn't do it. Did you do it? God created laughter. He created the emotion of the heart that floods, and then all of a sudden it comes out with all kinds of varied laughing. My family and I ran across a video on YouTube, and it is a video of all the different types of laughs. One was called like the machine gun laugh. It was like, uh, you know, you, you've had that kind of laugh. One was called like the hiccup laugh. It's like, you know, the big massive inhale. And then it just went on for like ever. And I was just like, God is so creative. It's amazing. That is so good. He creates laughter. But because sin is in the world and suffering exists, laughter will come and it will go now. And yet, he says, on that last day, there will be no more tears. I'll bring a new heavens and a new earth. You will be able to fully enjoy everything in greater degree. The tears will be wiped away and you will be characterized. Not by this up and downness. You will be characterized by an ever-increasing and ever-expansive joy. And friends, do you know why? It's found in verse 23. In verse 23, he says this. Now, let's make sure we understand it's on the tail end of something. Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil on the account of Jesus, the Son of Man. And in verse 23, he says this. Like almost unbelievable that he says it. Rejoice in that day. What? And I believe it's intentionally ambiguous. What's the that day? The day when you're being made fun of and excluded and your name is being spurned? Yes. The day when I come again and all wrongs will be made right? Yes. Rejoice in that day. How do we do that? Because He says, look at it, this is where when you read the Bible, it's helpful to chew on words. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. What he's talking about encourages a physical response. It's good. I know every one of you at some point in your life have experienced such a joy that your body responded. He's encouraging for you to think on it so deeply that there is a physical response of joy that comes over you. And then he says this. Look at these next two words. Say them with me. For behold. Oh, you can say it again. That was, I didn't make that fair. For behold. What's behold mean? What's it mean? It means to what? To look. To see. He is inviting you in to looking towards the great reward. Look towards the great reward. And I do believe the scriptures teach us of rewards to come in eternity that are physical in nature because we will not just be floating in space. There's a new heavens and a new earth when the when all wrongs are made right and Jesus returns. It will be earthy and fleshly. And there will be mountains and rivers and streams. And we will enjoy and enjoy and enjoy. I do believe there are earthly rewards for our faithfulness here on this earth. But hear this. The word reward here is singular. And I believe it's because all those physical rewards. They will all be seen in light of The great reward who is God Himself. There is no greater reward than you being in the presence of God and with Him forever. Nothing's greater. That's why the psalmist says this, Blessed is the one who dwells in my presence. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says this, The nearness of God is my good. That's what's good. It is to be near to God and He is the great reward. There is nothing greater. And part of my joy in preparing these messages week in and week out is that I just get to plead with God that He would crack ever so slightly the door of heaven and rain through with a shot of light that says, My radiant beauty is enough. His beauty surpasses any ocean sunset. His glory exceeds the glory of any person or, and His brilliance of any star. His compassion and generosity surpasses that of the sweetest mom or the most generous person throughout all of history. The best of conditions are not good without Him. His presence is what makes heaven glorious. His presence fills every condition. With all sweetness. Blessed is the one. Who sees. Jesus as the great reward. He loves you. Oh how he loves you. It brings tears to my eyes. To know the extent that he went. So that you could be. A child. You could be forgiven. And set free. There's no greater life changing message. And he invites you into it. And he says, I want you to experience the blessed life. But he goes on and he says, some of you will try to do it on your own. You'll try to run upstream. And you'll be exhausted and exhausted and exhausted. Woe to you who set your hopes on anything other than Jesus. And that's what he says here in verse 24. Woe to those who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to those who are full, now you shall be hungry. Don't let this confuse you. In the Bible, it's really simple. Blessing for those who trust in Jesus. Woe, cursing to those who choose not to surrender to him. It's that way. It's that way. But he opens this door of invitation and he says, Come to me. So, what does he mean when he says, If the blessed life is a life of joy and peace, and it's for those who fully surrender to him, what does he mean here then, woe to those who are rich? Really, if you have material possessions, you can't be God's child? No. That's not what the Bible teaches. And I just want to take you to kind of unravel this mystery, to take you to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6. And it says this. As for the rich in this present age, that is those who have money, charge them not to be haughty. This gets at it right here. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that is those who feel bankrupt at heart and need Jesus to change them. Here he says, charge the rich, because money sometimes can bring with it power, charge them not to be arrogant, nor... To set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. He's basically saying riches are like trying to hold sand or trying to hold water. It's just going to go right through the fingers. It won't ultimately deliver. So it's not wrong to be rich. It's wrong to set all your hopes on your money. Instead, he says, but set your hopes on God. And hear this. Who richly provides you everything to enjoy. Every good gift. Is from above and he wants you to enjoy the heck out of it. We as Christians do sometimes the greatest disservice to our God by just being sour. I give you everything to enjoy. And then he says to the rich, verse 18, they are to do good. Do you hear what he doesn't say? Stop being rich. doesn't say that. They're to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share, thus, and this is what I think are future rewards, physical rewards, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So now, we zip back and finish. What does he mean when he says, woe to those who are rich? It's those who set their hopes on their material possessions. If that's where your hope is, he says, you have your full consolation and comfort right now, but you will not have it forever. To those who are full now, it is not wrong for you to go out and to eat well and to feel full. That's a gift from God. But it's those who set their hopes upon the food and realize and try to ignore the fact that God is the provider of every good and perfect gift. They will be hungry in the age to come. Those who laugh now, laugh away friends. But here he's talking about the arrogant laughter. Those who are haughty in their laughter. That laughter will turn to mourning. And when people speak well of you, don't live for the praise of men. Live for the praise of God. What is the blessed life? It's a life of joy and peace that surpasses physical circumstances. Who gets it? Those who make the Lord their trust. And where is it found? Where do we look for it? We look for it in Jesus. Yes, now, but most importantly, In the day to come, let's pray.